Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 86 and as per usual my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout and this week I am joined by an absolutely iconic actor who has shaped most of our teenage lives I would imagine and even though it's not Wednesday it's a Tuesday I'm still wearing pink in honour of him. Please welcome to the podcast Daniel Franzesi. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Genuinely, thank you so much. Um, I was telling one of my friends earlier that you were coming on and they were like, oh my God, I love him so much. (laughs) And I was like, me too. Me fucking too. Oh, you guys are just it's nice. We love. What I ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, how did you get into acting, and what was your first ever role? And it doesn't have to be a professional one. We love a good school story. I definitely started out entertaining my family. I had a very large family. My grandfather had thirteen brothers, and they all bought houses on the same street in Brooklyn. And so, like, I grew up on that block, Franzesi Street. Yeah, <laughs> De Carlo Street. But if I, if I lived on that street, um. If I learned like my ABCs or something, I would perform for every relative. So at a very young age, I would do the coffee table circuit with any joke or something I learned, you know, or something I repeated off TV. And I realized early on that I had an ability to make people laugh and they liked me for that. And so that led to me really wanting to do it professionally, even as a young person, like in uh, early elementary school, kindergarten, first grade, I wanted to be an actor. And in second grade, my mom took me to an agent and I booked it. She gave me a commercial audition and I booked it. Oh, booking roles right from the off. But it was so much pressure from my parents that they were like, you know what? Yeah, I booked my first audition. And they were like, you know what? We'll do this commercial, but this is too much for us. You do it when you're older and you're an adult, but we'll support you and send you to camp and school and all that kind of stuff to cultivate your gifts. But we think this is something that you have to do when you're older because it's not for us. Yeah. So I ended up going to college for it. And I officially started working professionally when I was 20. Because I couldn't find out whether you had been to drama school or you had studied acting while I was doing my research, which sort of brings me on because they're my favorite things in the world. And we're going to play a whole game based around them later on. What do you have a funny or crazy drama school anecdote that you can tell us? Um, I went to Florida School of the Arts. It was a unique experience because it was really like 100, 200 students max. And then if you take out the fine art, graphic design, ballet and modern dance kids, we really didn't hang out with that much. Yeah, it was really just us actors and musical theater kids. So it was like 60 kids and we all lived in the same apartments and it was very cool, very like we didn't really have a club in town or a bar or even like a coffee shop. So we throw a lot of house parties and it got me really good at throwing parties, which is what I ended up doing on the side from acting when I first moved to New York. I was a party promoter. I love that. Do do you have a, a favorite wild or crazy story from any of the parties that you planned? I do know we did a pimps and hoes party and like we all dressed up, you know, that was a very big 90s thing to do. Yeah. And there was a song that was going, too much booty in the pants, dance, too much booty in the pants, dance. And this girl was dancing and her pants ripped open her black pants with white underwear underneath it was so funny oh, wow so like her booty burst out of her pants to booty in the pants dance mm. so i remember that very well i um, always say that because i dropped out of drama school the first time i'm about to graduate again so well hopefully fingers crossed i might fail at everything um but i always say the first time that i dropped out of drama school i learned so many lessons and so many things about myself that 
I find it really intriguing to ask, what was the biggest lesson that you learned while you were in drama school? The first day, I think, um, my teacher was saying, like, you have to read things that aren't about acting. And you have to, like, listen to things that aren't musicals. And you have to, like, watch documentaries instead of just movies. And I was only feeding myself theater. Like, I was, like, only listening to musicals and only reading plays. And, like, yeah, I wasn't, like, looking at what's happening in the world, but I was reading, like, Backstage and Variety. So, yeah. like... Even though I didn't understand, at the time, I didn't even understand variety. It was like reading like Chinese or something. I could not understand it. But I was just like trying to, so like, I'm going to eventually get this if I keep reading it. And <laughs> yeah. she was like, you're going to have no life experience to pull from, you know? And I think I, I always thought about that. Oh, okay. So I tried to read like, you know, one regular book, like every couple of weeks or like, you know, once a month, try to read like a book, something different. And then when I was an actor and I, I made a few movies, somebody said to me in an interview, what would you be if you weren't an actor? And I was like, um, maybe a photographer. And they were like, well, why don't you just take pictures? And I was like, oh. And that's when I realized that being an actor didn't necessarily mean that that had to be my only identity. Yeah. And my teacher said, it's nice to choose acting. Like have other things you can do, but don't necessarily do them. You know, you don't want a fallback thing, but it's nice that it's nice to say like, I'm going to choose acting and choose this hard road, even though I have options to do other things. Don't make that be the only thing you can do or you get stuck when, if it doesn't work out. Yeah, I completely agree with the, the life experience. So I remember my first stint at drama school, I thought I was the shit. <laughs> I was like walking in on first day and I was like, I am going to be the best actor in this room. And I was like, I want to say I was deaf. I was 21. Uh, yeah, I was 21. And I, I very click quickly learned that I was not the shit and I was shit and dropping out. I dropped out right before the pandemic, but even just like that lifetime of fuck, well, felt like a lifetime of living on my own and surviving, especially throughout a pandemic, gave me so much life experience that I can now draw upon, like in my performances. I think a big thing too, is I was like, I would see kids, that were so fucking talented and i'd be like i'm never gonna be that good like i'm just never gonna be that good as he just was yeah. that monologue like what am i doing here there's a lot of imposter syndrome especially when you're young and like some of the people that i felt that way about never got even a guest star you know yeah. like never even took it to the next level or you know i remember going to see one of them in a play very nice guy very good actor but a little like egocentric because we went to go see them me and another former alumni of my college went to go see a play written by one of our old old classmates and starring two of our old classmates. So yeah. we went to go see it and nobody showed up to the theater. It was oh, a wow. small space, but nobody came. So they were like, we're gonna, we're sorry to tell you, but we're gonna cancel the play because nobody came today. And we were like, oh, that sucks. We, this is the only day we could really see it. And they're like, well, we could do it just for you. And we were like, um, should we? Like, we if you want to, we'll watch it. We're here, you know? Yeah. And they were like, Okay, let me tell the actor. And I remember one of the actors, the same actor that I'm talking about that was like upset that uh, was really good, you know, in class that I was upset was really good, mm. uh, was upset because he said it took 45 minutes to get into character. And then he got out of character when he was told the show was over. And now he's going to get back into character. I was like, what are you talking about? I can't about? deal like, with people like that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what are you going to do if you're like on a CSI or like a Law and Order type show where you've got to cry in one scene and laugh the next scene? Like, you just got to do it. Like, you don't yeah. have time to like, like, and if you were going to be that way, you better be Daniel Day fucking Lewis. You come yeah. out on stage. Like, I think that's a lot of the things that held those people back, you know, is thinking that they had to do certain things. Oh, I'm I like one minute before the something. call. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, OK, we're doing that. It, it always reminds me. Uh, I understand getting centered or whatever and getting yeah. in the zone or whatever. But like, 
a 45 minute getting into character process when the play's an hour? I don't think so. Who has the time? Nobody. <laughs> and that's why you're not working. And that's why no one's coming to see the show. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 no, it's the truth, isn't it? Um, I, I think that colleges and places like that should actively, how do you say the word? I've lost the word, actively discourage people from that are young doing method acting because I think it's very unhealthy. And also, I, I just don't think it's worth it because they're not doing it correctly. And I think that the actor wanting to feel something is a very egotistical and selfish thing. Like, yeah. you know, if you think about uh, play extremities, yeah. like where I think Farrah Fox, it was it, it like traps the assailant in a fireplace and has kerosene all over him and throwing <laughs> matches at him. Very intense play. So if you're doing that nine shows a week, you want to take yourself to the method place of getting raped nine times a week. Like, why would anyone want that job? Like, to, people don't go to see the endurance that you put yourself through. They go to feel something. So it only yeah. matters really with the audience. You know, you can completely be lying up there and feeling nothing, but just executing it properly. Yeah. And they do always say acting's about being generous to your scene partners or and giving them whatever you can instead of expecting them to give you stuff. Right. But that's the work i'm talking about like people wanting to be in the moment or be method or whatever like some of that to me is like what moment no one's gonna you know what i mean like you could be crying inside and thinking of your dead grandpa and being like so sad and no tears are coming out we don't feel it you know yeah. we gotta feel it you gotta give us a show it's an illusion yeah no it's I, I think it's so stupid but talking about stage shows and things like that you've done a lot on stage including jersey shawzical with um will and belli uh, I remember that very well. Yeah. Um, you've done loads of one man uh, one man shows. You do stand up. Uh, another, uh, you'll, hence the theme here. Do you have a favorite story from your time on stage, backstage or on stage? Oh, like any stage? Any stage. Oh man, um, I, <laughs> this funny thing comes to mind. I did this play. Uh, I did this play, The Heart of Robin Hood, which was from Royal Shakespeare Company, but it ended up here in Beverly Hills, and I did it in Beverly Hills in Hong Kong, but. Uh, I was with the cast and one day um, the actress Frances Fisher came to come see me. She's the mom from Titanic and uh, we, were, we became friends and she came to come see my play and she brought a friend with her. Now she had asked me for a ticket plus one. Yeah. So when I met her in the lobby and she was with this lovely woman, I thought that the woman that she was with was her plus one. She was like, this is so-and-so we met on this movie. And I was like, oh my God. And she had an apple pie in her hands. And I was like, is that an apple pie? And she's like, yeah, I made it. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so, like the nicest person. <laughs> so then we all sit down to dinner and there was a young a young actress who was in the play who played like three or four parts. Like, you know, she was like a, she was a good actress, a bit part actress though in the yeah. show. And she was sort of new and also new to America even and, and LA. So she was like so eager. She was writing letters to every single casting director. And I was like, give me a list of the casting directors that you're writing letters to and if i know them personally you could tell them i'm in it and i'm inviting too and that would help you get them to come so i was trying to the audience but i was like helping her you know but then we did like a a q a talk back and she was very eager talking the most like even though she knew the least like you know kind of thing and then so then i see her and i told her francis fisher was coming because she got excited when i would tell her who of my celebrity friends were going to attend the show or what agents or what casting directors finally were said yes. And so I'm like, Frances Fisher's coming. She's like, I'd love to meet her. So she walks up to us. And at this point, I'm talking to Frances and her friend. And I kind of wanted it to be like a little more intimate. But she was just there talking, 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 talking. And I was just like, okay, fine. And we talked about everything. We were talking about SAG issues and telling stories and things like that. And like union things. 
And then uh, we, we talked to pretty long time and she was there the whole time. And then she was like, it was the matinee. So she's like, I got to get ready for the night show. So the woman who was with her said, don't forget the apple pie. And I was like, bitch, you're going to take the apple pie? Like this girl made it for us, but through me and you're going to take my apple pie. But I was like, I don't even really want it. It's okay. Like, you know, take the apple pie. Yeah. So she took the apple pie downstairs. So then we're at like this break. It's like a two hour lunch break but between the, the intermission and the night show. And one of the actors comes in and he's like this buff dude playing one of the Marion men, like so hungry. He's been like fasting pretty much the whole production so he could be all cut up and ripped and doing push ups mm-hmm. in the hallway. And we're on like the last show almost. It's like the last weekend. He's like, it's the last weekend. I don't care. Does anybody have any food? I'm, I'm starving. And everyone's like, no, I don't have anything. And I was like, actually, there's an apple pie for the cast. I think it's in her room. Go check on the girl's dressing room and ask. Mm-hmm. So he's like, are you kidding me? You're kidding me. I'm like, no, there's an apple pie. So he knocks on the door. And he comes in, he's like, is so-and-so here? And she wasn't there. He's like, I heard she has apple pie. And he went to her station, found the apple pie, and brought it back out. And so everyone's like, apple pie! And I'm like, you need to save her a piece, at least. Like, you know what I mean? Stopping. I had a little sliver, but everybody was, like, eating the apple pie. So now I'm getting ready, and I'm putting my mic on, I'm getting ready for the night show. And they're like, so-and-so wants to talk to you. The girl wanted to speak to me. And I come out, and she was in blistering tears. She was like, you ate my apple pie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She was like, you ate my apple pie. And I'm like, that was for everybody. She's like, no, it wasn't. She was like, apparently, Francis Fisher's friend who was friends with that girl and her mother, and all the way from like Australia or what have you, this woman made up apple pie for her mother who was visiting. And I thought that it was the whole cast. <laughs> but I gave out her apple. She thought I stole apple pie from her dresser. And I'm like, is this really the story that I need to be floating around like forever? Like, you know, I love like that, that I stole an apple pie from someone's dressing room. And she took so. Honestly, the next day I went to House of Pies and I bought her four apple pies because one apple pie was like, I'm sincerely sorry. Two apple pies was like, um, I'm really, really, I genuinely sorry. Three apple pies was like, let's let the cast have an apple pie and laugh about this. And yeah. four was go fuck yourself. <laughs> that you like caused all this drama over an apple over pie. Over a fucking like, apple pie. After all I've done for you. Yeah, I-, I would have stole the apple pie. And then I would have bought four apple pies and gave them to everyone else. <laughs> I made sure everybody knew about it. And she was like dr- dramatic. And she was like, I feel kind of better. And I'm like, <laughs> shut the fuck girl. up. Like, just please relax. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Mean Girls now. What was the audition process like for you? Uh, there was a casting director. There is a casting director named Susan Shopmaker who cast me in Party Monster and another commercial for Verizon at one point. And... She just was fond of me and I liked her. And when Mean Girls came around, she had me come in and audition for it. And I don't think I did that well, but she called me back anyway. And I was in the audition room waiting and Amanda Seyfried was there and she was deciding what shirt she was going to wear for the background of her thing. She was like, should I wear this tan one or this maroon one? And I was like, I would go with the Merlot. And and Tina turned around and said, oh, hi. And I'm like, I just want to say I love what you've done for women in comedy. I'm such a fan of yours. She was like, thank you. And then I went in and then they called me into audition. And when I came in, she was like, you, I thought you'd worked here. Now I'm excited. I like you. She's like, I didn't know you were auditioning. And so that was like a good, like, so then they auditioned. And apparently my audition wasn't that great. That's what they said on each Hollywood story. But they really liked me. And I'm not a great auditioner. I'm a great actor. I know yeah. I am, but I'm just not good at auditioning because I'm not good at like begging for a part. Like I'm just not like, I don't think that I should be deserved to be given everything. And I know I have to work for it, but I think like having a discussion with the director about character, like taking some time to like do some research and coming with characterization, 
like all of that comes into play. The hair, the makeup, the wardrobe, all comes into play in how I do my performance. But giving me a script the night before and then I show up and I cold read it, I'm, I'm just not going to be as good. But anyway. Whereas uh, um, if anyone's listening out there, I will beg for jobs. <laughs> oh, trust me, I beg. But like, <laughs> I'm saying like, I'm just not good at begging. Um, so so I, uh, they called me back months later, like I forgot about it. And they come back months later and they're like, we want to fly, fly you out to LA and have you do the table read, but, and have dinner with the cast, but you don't have the part yet. We're going to decide after the table read if you get the part or not. It's just so annoying. So they flew me out. I had dinner with Lauren Michaels and Tina Fey and the entire cast. And everyone was cast with me and I was so stressed out. And then I did the uh, table read and I burned through that table read. Like I made them laugh so hard. Like I made Lauren Michaels do a spit take. Like, and it was just like, that's it. And then they made me wait one more week Mm. where I couldn't even sleep or anything. And finally, when I decided to take a nap at like 4 p.m. on a Friday, I just took a nap at my friend's house. I got a call while I was napping telling me I got the part. Wow. I I do have to ask just for my own personal indulgence. Um, Obviously, Lindsay Lohan starred in Mean Girls. And at that time, she was going through a bit of a a diva phase. What was she like to work with? Feel free to not tell any of the juicy details if there are any. She was, I don't think there's much to tell. I think I I was 26 and she was 16. So already there, you know. And yeah. she was going through like a diva phase. There was things. She had like, you know, MTV on set some days and she wouldn't even talk to us while she was busy doing her thing or whatever. Like there was just things that she did. But as an adult, I really like her. I think she's really come to a place where she's found herself, you know, it's kind of hard being that young and be given oh, the yeah. world. Like, how would you? Oh, be, no, I love you her. Know? I fucking, I think Lindsay's a god and she's Yeah, so I think now, like as adults, we get along so much better, um, you know, meeting up with her and her sobriety and meeting up with her you know, as a different person, I feel like um, has been really rewarding. I'm just such a fan of like, you know, like the shows like 90210, like I love Annalyn McCord, like I love a a diva. (laughs) I I love a diva. I used to live with uh, Sinead Grimes. Oh, I love Sinead Grimes. (laughs) Yeah, we shared a house together for like two years. 90210 is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Um, Did you steal anything from the Mean Girls set? Do you have any mementos left? I didn't steal anything. Um, They didn't let us have much. Uh, they gave us a lot of stuff like that I didn't think to keep. Like I don't really keep swag. Like I had like a Mean yeah. Girls backpack. Like I was like an original Mean Girls backpack. Who knows where the hell that is? Like I just didn't keep hold on to a lot of that stuff. Uh, Tina Fey gave me a lighter from Tiffany's that said "Mean" engraved on it, and they took it away from me at the TSA at the airport. Fuck that shit. They were like, "You're not gonna get on your flight if you have this." And I'm like, "I'm like, it doesn't even have any fluid in it." And they're like, "Sorry," and they took it away. Oh, now you know to post everything back to yourself yeah they did give me all of the clothes that i didn't wear so i had a bunch of clothes from the show that i didn't wear that were really nice yeah. that i got to keep what i always think's so interesting um and it's probably a question that you've been asked a million times for my 50th anniversary uh, 50th anniversary i've not been gone that long my 50th episode i had kabir berry on who was playing kevin g in the broadway uh, the national tour and something that we got talking about was um are you a Regina, Gretchen, or a Karen? I don't think I'm any of those. I think I'm a da- I think I'm straight up a Damien. Like, mm. <laughs> like what else would I be? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I'm any of those. I've never really been a follower. Oh no, I'm such a Gretchen. Oh, you are? What makes you a Gretchen? I'm such a gossip and I love everyone's secrets. I know love knowing everything about everyone. <laughs> okay, okay.
yeah, I had I had massive arguments with the music team about the songs that they were asking me to sing. I was so angry, and I, I went backstage, I punched the wall. Fear for me stood out straight away. Fear spoke. When I first went down, Fear was looking nice when I went down. That bikini was standing out. And I was just straight away, like, Fear got my attention instantly because of obviously, like I say, she spoke, she was vocal, uh, a bikini. <laughs> I don't think she was like with her partner because obviously I knew there was rumours that when she went in there, she was still with her boyfriend and all that carry on. I don't think that was the case. Reality TV on record, the new podcast from Ingram Noble launching June 3rd. Do you have, last question about Mean Girls, do you have a standout moment from behind the scenes that nobody will know about? Uh, um, that's a good question. I guess I want my pink shirt back with something that I Im improvised. I improvised that during rehearsal. We had to practice the timing of going around that cul-de-sac and like yelling at her, the birdies on the monkey, the whole scene. Yeah. And so <clears throat> at the end of the scene, I was, I was like, can I yell? I want my pink shirt back, bitch. And he was like, I wouldn't say bitch, just say I want my pink shirt back twice. Kind of like George Costanza in Seinfeld, like just yell it. And I was like, all right. And so I got to add that one in and I was really proud of getting that in there because I thought it was such a funny callback. Yeah, writer's credit. Yeah, I deserve one. <laughs> a fun question that I ask every week on the podcast that I love to ask and answer. If you were booked to do a one month show in the West End or Broadway, but preferably the West End so I can come and see it. And you were doing a two-person show and the guy, the director... I would love to be in the West End. Please do come up. We'll have you whenever. Um, but the casting director comes and says to you, listen, we've got as much money as we possibly need. Who do you want to be your co-star? They have to be alive. I, I think Lady Gaga would be amazing. There's a lot of people I would like to work with, believe me. I was saying, I think Lady Gaga, she's Italian, I'm Italian. I think if we met, we would like really get along. So. Yeah. And I'm not, like, I'm not like a little monster or anything, but I love her and I love her work. Lady Gaga, get in touch, and I'll put you in touch with Daniel. I'm just an Italian girl from New York, you know? Just an <laughs> Italian girl from New York City. I'm just an Italian girl from New York, so... Yeah, but Catherine Tate has been my pick for, like, 80-odd weeks now, so... Catherine, please come oh, on the podcast. Oh, she's great, and she just I'll do had a with me. Nan movie come out, right? The she Nan movie. The Nan movie? Yeah, that came out, and then, literally, just as at time of recording on Tuesday... Um, Hard Cell came out on Netflix, which is a six-part um, sitcom about a women's prison. So please go and watch it. I'm like three episodes in and I fucking love her. I will. I love her interp interpreter uh, skit. That one cracks me yeah. up. Yeah. Gertie, Gertie, Gertie. So much fun. Yeah, Gertie, Gertie, Gertie. I <laughs> grew up on the Catherine Tate show. So like, she's just got <laughs> such like... I also love Little Britain. I love Brit I love British comedy, period. I love Little Britain, but looking back on it, there's a lot of issues with Little Britain. But don't get me wrong, I love David Wallace. Oh, I it love is Matt extremely Lucas. problematic. So yeah, socially now. Yeah. Um, that's actually a really good point. Uh, but I um yeah, but no, I grew yeah, but no, but yeah, I grew up on it. Yeah. Little Britain you can't get now, it's been taken off of everything. Oh, really? Yeah. Because of that reason. Yeah. Wow. I never like really thought about being able to access it. It's quite sad in a sense that it's British culture, British history was one of the biggest TV shows of the time. I get that there's a reason why it's been taken off, 
and I am all for that. But I also think there's a lot more that we should be worrying about than TV shows that were made 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, it, there was some masterful uh, performances though on that show. A hundred percent. Like Vicky Pollard, I will like. <laughs> well, she. The least, believe it or not, she ended up being the least problematic out of all of the. Yeah, I mean, there's like fatphobic things, there's transphobic things, there's like racist things, there's all kinds of things that are on that show. But I think that show was just so bizarre. It was so fun. As a fat person, though, I am allowed to say that I absolutely loved the Fat Fighters episode, the skits. Oh, it's not easy, easy. No, some dust. Dust. Anybody want some dust? dust? Dust. A little bit of dust. No, cravings. We're not talking John cravings. <laughs> He's drowned up. <laughs> yeah, no, I... yeah, we sort of already said chocolate biscuits here. Yeah, must be something we don't get here. <laughs> no, I, I fucking love it. It's, I grew up on it all, like I said. But moving on to another thing that I love, we're going to play a game. And it's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And it's three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And one of them is a big fat lie that's been made up by our producer, Heather. And I have the answer in a sealed envelope so I can play along because I absolutely love this game. That's a cute envelope. So it's our job to find out which one of the three is the lie. Number one, while I was in rehearsals for a show, whenever the lead would come into the wings, he would hurl insults at the dresser ladies for not getting him dressed fast enough. On press night, they left his zipper undone and everyone could see his minion underwear. I hope that's true. I hope that's true. See, I hope that's not true because then that means that they weren't doing their job properly. Oh, I hope they got a bit. And they're going to compromise their own artistic integrity to get back at somebody. So I I hope hope that one's not true. Uh, Number two, a fellow cast member, open brackets, on Broadway, close brackets, once tried to get me fired because I signed over her face on a poster at stage door one night. I believe that one. Yes, same. It's shady to sign over a face. That's shady. Number three. One of my friends from drama school had a phobia of public toilets. And one time during show week, I caught, caught her squatting in the corner of the dressing room, peeing into a jug. I still don't understand how that is more sanitary than using a public toilet. Wow. Um, the first one's shite. The so other think, ones are real. I, I See, I think that the third one's shite because I've seen those drama school dressing rooms. I've peed in a Gatorade bottle. Give me a break. I don't know. I think it's very easy. I could probably pee sitting down at my dressing room table into a bottle. Depends how dirty the bathroom was. Mm, true. I'm going to go for number two, but you can stay on number one. You don't have to follow me. Um, it's always a bit more interesting. And it was number two. Uh, which was number two again? So the Broadway one. Oh, the signing over the face? Yeah. Oh, that was too real. That fooled me. That Yeah, that I, I believe that is what happened. <laughs> I mean, I sign Mean Girls things all the time, and I'm never on the I'm not on the poster, you know. So I have to be careful where I sign. I can either sign over Lindsay's face, but I don't. <laughs> you might Daniel Franzese. Yeah, just right I, over Lindsay's face. Um, what have you got coming up next? I know you're in like the land of television, and you're in Hollywood and everything. Anything that you're allowed to talk about? There's some really big things I can't talk about, um, but I'm excited about. NDAs. But the, the one that I can talk about. Yeah, but the one that I, I have two NDA projects right now, but one that I can talk about um, is I'm currently in writing mode for um, a stage play of my Italian mom character. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Now you've said that, please bring it to the UK. I'm planning and I'm starting out 2023 in London and I'm going to stay there for as long as I can, at least a month. Oh my God. Come, so please I, do. I really want to do a, 
I really want to do a play in London. That's sort of like a goal that I have right now. And so if, even if it's my play, I'm going to go out there and sort of suss it out and check it out and hang out. It'd be good to do fringe festivals. So any theater. Yeah. I went to uh, Edinburgh, um, but <laughs> with that, which that can be, and I also played the stand in Glasgow, um, which I probably would want to do again. Um, yeah. But I, uh, I think um, even more over doing stand up out there, which I'm going to do lots of stand up in the UK. I still want to try to do some theater. I want to do something yeah. that gets me, I would say uh, every year, every two years, something that will take me out to London to do something. I want to be there more. So Yeah, definitely. And I think we've also got such a, um, I think you may get a chance to come over next year because I'm sure Mean Girls is coming to the West End. Um, but also, so you may can come for the press night, whatever. You'd, what, just come over and stay. We like, we like having people over here. <laughs> That's kind of what I want to do. Hopefully in the month that I'm there, I could audition for something or whatever and book it. You know, I would love to be out there. I'd love to be on Brit TV. I'd love to, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Well, anybody that wants to get in touch with Daniel, let me know. My email's down in the show notes below and I'll pass everything on. But also if you're going to kind of give him a job offer through me. Yeah. Or my Instagram and they could DM me and I could send it over, you know, just let me know. Yeah. But if you are going to give Daniel a job offer through this podcast, you kind of have to give me one too. So just bear that in mind. Right. Um, and that part's optional. No, it really is. Please, <laughs> please give me a job. I'm about to graduate. <laughs> um, talking about social media and everything, where can everyone find you and keep up to date with what you're doing? Um, everywhere on social media, I am What's Up Danny, unless somebody stole it from me, but <laughs> most places. Tick, TikTok, uh, Snapchat. Are you on Cameo at all? I am on Cameo, yeah. Well, make sure everybody listening to this go and book a Cameo. Daniel will say, I mean, probably just about anything. What's the weirdest cameo you've ever got? Um, I, I, some woman uh, who was a lawyer was leaving her firm to start to work at a new firm. And so she quit using me. I and love I was like, that. you guys don't treat her right. Like she was able to, I told them off for her, you know? And I was like, so she doesn't even go here anymore. Cause apparently <laughs> the owner of the firm was gay and was a big Mean Girls fan. So she used me to sort of like tell him that she was quitting. I'd never even thought about that. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 86 completed. Thank you so much to Daniel for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even know, and it's bloody free, so why not? Remember, if you have a story for stage right or stage shite, please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com. And don't forget that you can now become an official Drama School Dropout by signing up to our Patreon using the link in the show notes below. I'll be back again next Tuesday with a brand spanking new episode, so make sure to come back then. Have a great week, stay safe, I love you. Drama School Dropout No graduation day for you Drama School Dropout Fuck your whole course, now try something new Trying to scoot your